Welcome to 2024, and as we begin this new year, uh, I thought it would be good to go to God's Word, to the book of Romans, that speaks into a culture that has drifted away from what God intended it to be. Paul was eager and ready to preach the gospel, and so he did that to the Roman people, but in the midst of it all, he gave them some warnings of what happens in a culture when it moves away from God, how it takes a downward spiral along that path until eventually God has no choice but to bring judgment. I believe the book of Romans speaks to us today. So I hope you'll enjoy it as we dig in with these podcasts. Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. And last week, we looked at the very same text we're going to look at this morning. And the Bible just says, Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, I am debtor, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you're last Sunday morning, you remember that we talked about the fact that we have an indebtedness to the world, to all people everywhere, all around the world, all across mid-Missouri, not just mid-Missouri, though, all around the world. We have a debt. There's an indebtedness. And Paul would say, owe no man anything but to love him, but there is an indebtedness. And he saw this debt that he had in this passage of Scripture to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, the unwise, those who were at Rome. He felt a certain and a, uh, a definite sense of obligation to his own people, the Jewish people, and expressed that very clearly in Romans chapter 9. So we have this thing of indebtedness. And then uh, when we look at verse 15, we have this sense of preparedness or eagerness because he says, so I am ready. Uh, he sensed his debt, and then he said, I am am ready. And ready means two things. Ready can mean that you've gotten yourself ready. You've gotten yourself prepared. A lot of times when we get ready to leave the house, you know, we're making sure we got everything together. Are you ready to go? Yes, I'm ready to go. So we're ready. But then it also means eagerness. Like I'm, I'm ready, man. I was born ready. You ready? I'm ready. And so uh, Betty generally just has to say two little words. Yoo-hoo. Uh, she doesn't say it in that octave, but yoo-hoo, and I'm ready. Uh, that means supper's on the table. Uh, do not delay, do not tarry, do not wait, do not pass go. Definitely you don't collect $200. Yoo-hoo, that means get to the table. So that's, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So not only uh, was he saying, I'm ready, he's saying, I have a sense of boldness. I have this obligation. I have prepared myself. I am eager, and I am boldly going to go where some people would not want me to go, and that is I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. So last Sunday morning, you know that I asked you to do something. I asked you to pray. I just simply asked you to do this, folks. And some of you obviously paid no attention to me whatsoever. I asked you to lay a soul on your heart. Lay a person on your heart 
Uh, that's what I ask you to pray for all seven days this past week. And I don't have any of you, I'm not going to embarrass anybody by asking you to raise your hand, but I ask you to ask God to put somebody on your heart this week. Well, obviously, some of you didn't pay any attention to me because some folks had the privilege of leading somebody to Christ this week. So it wasn't just that this person was laid on my heart. I, I think about one lady in our church, and I don't know if she's in here this morning right now, but she had the privilege of hearing her daddy pray to receive Jesus this week. It's not just about having it on your heart. It had to come out, had to act on it, had to move on it. And so I praise God this morning. I can stand before you and tell you that I know of five adults in this past week who have either made a commitment or have, in weeks immediately before that, have made a commitment to trust Jesus Christ, their Savior. And I can't say anything but hallelujah. So some of you didn't pay any attention. You didn't stop when I said stop. I just asked you. I just ask you to ask the Lord to lay somebody on your heart, but you took it a step further, and that's okay. This morning, we're going to talk about having a gospel conversation with somebody, and you're going to find this to be, I, I pray that you're going to find this to be a very practical thing that we want to talk about, because it's as easy as one, two, three, four, five, one. Number one, one, there is one Savior. There is one Savior, there is one Lord, and his name is Jesus. Only one. Now, the reason we start with that is because you're going to hear a lot of people say, well, there are many ways to God. And after all, don't we all really worship the same God? Well, some people worship God with a little g, uh, but we who believe in Jesus Christ, worship the only true God. The idea that there are many, 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 many gods across the world is what got Israel in trouble to start with. Uh, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. There is a, now, you can have a, a made-up God. You can, you can make athletics your God. You can make sports your God. You can make your physical body your God. You can make your family your God. Nothing wrong with loving your family. You ought to love your family. Nothing wrong with loving your neighbors. Nothing wrong with enjoying your job. Some people, though, make their job into their God. But, but please understand, do not. Dear people living here in the 21st century, do not let anybody tell you there are many, many, many gods or that we're all worshiping the same God or there are all many different ways to God. There's only one God and only one way to God, and his name is Jesus Christ. We worship the only Savior. And you say, based on what? Based upon whatever thing I base my faith on is based on. I base it on this book. Here are some of the things that, that Jesus himself said. He said, uh, I am the way. Now, in Kentucky, we said, I am the way, okay? But I am the way. That's an exclusive thing. Not to say there's many ways. Jesus said, I am the way. And then he said, not to say that many truths, I am the truth. There's only one truth. And then we've discovered, if we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then we've discovered there's only one life. Am I right? There's only one life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
He said, I am the light of the world. And if you don't walk in my light, you're walking in darkness. A whole lot of darkness in this world. But I am the light. I am the door. There's only one way to get in. And that is through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the bread of life. There's only one thing that satisfies, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, I am a living water. If you drink of me, you will never thirst again. Now, you're going to get thirsty. i got a bottle of water right down here. Physically, I get thirsty, but I have found that spiritually, Jesus Christ is the one that satisfies. No one satisfies like the Lord. He said, I am the resurrection, standing outside Lazarus' tomb when their hearts were broken with grief. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. These are all things that Jesus exclusively claimed. And, and he didn't say there are many paths to God. There's many sources of light. There's many kinds of living water. There's many kinds of bread of life. There are many doors through which you can enter. He didn't say that at all. We used to teach our kids when they were little, one door and only one. And yet its sides are two, inside and outside. On which side are you? Yeah, but there's only one door, and it's Jesus. And so the resurrection, I am the resurrection of life. There's only one hope beyond the grave, and his name is Jesus. One, one Savior. Two, two kinds of people. Two kinds of people, two groups of people. You say, well, what, what are those? Well, you know the answer. Uh, God has not divided us according to our ethnicity or the color of our skin. Uh, there are only two kinds of people. There are those that are saved and there are those that are lost. And so there are those that say, well, I'm somewhere in between. No, you're not. Now, the song they sang this morning might have not been exactly grammatically correct, but it was right on target, I got saved. I got saved. Well, what was I before I was saved? I was lost. And so we say there's two kinds of people saved lost, and we also know there's two, two destinations. You're either headed to heaven or hell. There's no limbo. There's nothing in between, no purgatory. There's nothing that is going to purge you of the dross and the sin that is in your life. Nothing can do that. Nothing can purge away your sins after you step out of this life. There's only one thing that can wash away your sins, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. There's one Savior. There are two kinds of people. There are three parts to your life story, and this is where I want you to take that piece of paper, and you may look, just I want you to look at it, because it's got these three things on it. I want to hear the three things that are part of your life story. And that would be my life before I came to know Jesus. Now, you may have, and I've heard testimonies in recent days, well, I came to know Jesus when I was five years old. Or I've came to know Jesus when I was eight years old. Or I was saved when I was 13 years old. The further we go in life, the more we've got a life story back there. It may have been that uh, the worst thing you were ever into was sucking your thumb. And so you can say, God saved me out of the nursery. God saved me, for, delivered me from sucking my thumb. God delivered me in some way. You know, you may not have a great big pile of sin there, but your life before you came to know Christ was, no matter who we were at what age, there was a change that took place because before you came to know Christ, there was a burden there. Even a little kid 
comes to understand that they need Jesus in their life. Well, what did your life look like before you came to Jesus? Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. I was saved when I was 18 years old. Member of a church for a long time. You know, if I, if I could have put one word what my life was before I came to know Christ, I would have written the word hypocrite. The Bible has a lot to say about hypocrites. Romans chapter 2 has a lot to say about hypocrites. But if I could have put in all, if I had to crystallize it down to one single word, what was my life before I came to know Christ? I could go into all that it was, but I was pretending to be something that I was not. I had, I had been a church member for years, and I'd been baptized, and I was involved in all the activities of the children's ministry and all the activities of the youth group, and then I go off to college, and my life is not what my parents thought it was or what, what anybody else around the church thought. I would have characterized my life in one word, I was a hypocrite. I know one thing, on the third row, all the way over against the wall over here, hello, Rick, you're in one, two, three. That was where a big hypocrite was sitting uh, when I was all the way over against the wall at, uh, down at a little Baptist church down on the Kentucky River. I saw myself that night without Jesus Christ, and that was where something happened. How did I receive Christ? Okay, so the first part of your life story is, what your life was before you came to Christ, and it does need to be long. But then, how did you come to Christ? Well, I saw that I needed a Savior. And I didn't go to a preacher to talk to him about it. I didn't go to someone for counseling to deal with it. I had had this burden in my heart for a long time. And on that night, it burst forth in my soul and People say, well, when, you know, last Sunday morning we talked about Acts chapter 20, 20 and 21, where the Bible says that what we need is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. So repentance is turning around. So it's like I am going to hell, but then I turn around. Now, when you turn away from your sin, who are you turning to? You're turning to Jesus. This is not a two-step process. This is a one one-step process. You can't turn away from something without turning to something. And how did I come to know Jesus Christ? I will tell you, when I, under the weight of sin and my hypocrisy, I took the first step. And as a reluctant church member, I got saved. I didn't become a Christian when I got to the front of the church. I mean, it was an old-fashioned revival meeting, but that's not when I got saved. When did I get saved? When I took the very first step. And when you take the very God who has done so much that we might be saved, who sent his son to die on the cross that we might be saved, who raised him from the dead and has given us his word and all these witnesses, do you really seriously believe to tell me that God's going to make it hard? 
He who's already wooed you and won you and broken through your heart, when you take the first step, it's not some magical formula, the, the exact words and all of that thing. When you take the very first step, there is something that happens, a change. That, that's when it happened to me. So what was your life like before Christ? How did you come to Christ? Then what is your life like now? Well, peace that you didn't have, you have. Forgiveness you didn't have, you now have. A direction in your life you didn't have, you now have. Now, this is what I'm talking about. People say, well, I could never, I could never talk to, I could not have a gospel conversation with someone. You know, it's just telling somebody what happened. About uh, nearly 20, well, probably 20 years ago, we did this little exercise one Sunday morning, and over the next couple of weeks, we asked people to write down their life before Christ, how they came to Christ, what their life was after Christ. And over these last 20 years, it's been my privilege to get up uh, and share at funerals, uh, here's so-and-so's testimony. They wrote it down. You, you realize what a great help that has been to me as a pastor to be able to say, this is what he or she wrote down themselves as to how they came. And there's, there's not, well, we think back so-and-so. No, there is a definite thing that took place in their life, and I can stand up and I can share it. And I would say, I would encourage you to do this on two, two reasons. One, it's going to help you put in a very few words your story. Number two, it's going to help me. Some of you, I'm going to preach your funeral one of these days. I would like to have something good to say about you. <laughs> so help me, people, help me. But this is a key part. One, there is only one Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Two, there are only two kinds of people, the saved and the lost. Three, every person's story has three parts. You say, Brother Monty, my story's got so many parts. Look, you don't need to write a book. You need to put it all down, and I want to encourage you, write it all down. It will help you to be able to put your testimony down in about 60 seconds. This is my life before Christ. This is how I came to Christ. This is my life since I came to Christ. Four. We talk about gospel conversations. There are what, what I'm going to call this morning, uh, there are four calls to be a witness. Now, years ago, I heard Jack, Jack Hiles, pastor of First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. Jack, Brother Jack's gone now, but I heard him preach a sermon on four calls to soul winning. And this has probably been 40 years ago, but it sunk in. And he said, there is a call from within. There is a call from without. There's a call from below, and there's a call from above. When I look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, it's very clear that he felt the call from within. Because he said, I'm a debtor. I owe people something. I know something they don't know. Y'all used to just tear me up in school when a little girl come flipping through and say, I know something you don't know. <laughs> what do you know? But I think as far as we look at the world, there are those that we know something they don't know. And one of the things that happens, I believe, when we come to know Jesus is there is a want to talk about it. 
Okay, you say, Brother Monty, I don't want to talk about it like that. And yet, at the very same time, when you came to know Jesus, you were not ashamed. And we give invitations for people to respond to the gospel because the Bible says if we confess him before men, what's a confess? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That in itself just simply says, I'm not going to be ashamed. And what has happened here? There is this call from within, and that call from within is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. You have something good to share, you want to share it. You want to talk about good things. Missouri Tigers won last night. It's a good thing. Remember we said last week we need to pray for Kim Anderson. They won last night. That's a good thing. Kentucky Wildcats, whoa, I don't want to talk about it. Well, there are things happening in our life we don't want to talk about, but, but how can we not talk about our best friend? How can we not talk about, I mean, this is better than winning the lottery. This is better than getting a new car. This is better than getting a new house. I was in a hospital room yesterday with a young couple that have got two brand new little bitty babies, a little boy and a little girl, twins. I love it when our, when our nursery begins to grow at Concord. Brother Chris has already expressed we've been concerned because we haven't had a lot of babies in there, and we're thinking about having a campaign called Each One Make One. <laughs> but when I was in there... <laughs> Okay, Abraham and Sarah. When I was in that hospital room yesterday, I mean, here's a young guy, and, and David is just, I thought, man, he is going to hurt himself. He's just bouncing off the walls. He's, a, he's got two little babies he's going to take home. He really will be bouncing off the walls one of these days, but he's just bouncing off the walls. He is so excited. Something good has happened. It's a call from within. There's a call from without. And Jesus said, Look unto the fields which are white unto harvest. And, you know, there's a time when we kind of dial it back and we take it easy. There's a time when we work on all the maintenance that needs to be done. Uh, there's barns that need to be repaired. They need to be painted. Storehouses need to be worked on. Lights need to come in, be fixed, and... Uh, Access needs to be better. There are all those kinds of things. And we always, as a Baptist church, we're always saying, you know, we're just going to get ready. When everything is right, when everything is right, boy, then we're going to really get with it. We're going to win people to Jesus. And we're going to see people saved. But first of all, we've got to get some lights. No. There's a time to take a vacation. Nothing wrong with vacating and dialing it back a little bit and restoring our nothing wrong with having a sabbath of rest there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but it's not right when the harvest is ready and jesus said look under the fields they're white already in the harvest it's not time to change the oil it's not time to grease the equipment it's not time to fix the roof it's not time to put the lights in it's not a time to do any of those things when people are dying without jesus christ i know we don't like to think this way and culture dictates against us thinking this way but i look at the paper and i read the obituaries and i wonder do people, did they know Jesus? Did they know Jesus? Did they know Jesus? Did they know Jesus? I mean, knowing Jesus needs to become so much a part of us that we hear the call from without. And the call from without is not just in, in Brazil where Bruce and Charisse is or over in Cambodia where Brother Pete is or at a foreign place around the world. The call of people that do not know Jesus right here in central Missouri. Then there's a call from below. 
And I, I'm looking back now 40 years ago when I heard this sermon, and, and Dr. Howells used this as an illustration, the fact that there is a rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. The rich man dies. Lazarus dies, and he's carried by the angels into, heaven, into uh, Abraham's bosom. The rich man also dies and in, is buried, and in hell he lifts up his eyes being in torment. You know the story. And he says, he sees Father Abraham and Lazarus. He said, send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. And uh, Abraham says, no, this is, a, this is a parable. We believe it's a parable that Jesus told, although that if it is it, for sure a parable, then it's the only parable that Jesus ever gave anybody a name. And he said, no, there is a, there is a gap here. And those that are here cannot go there. Those that are there cannot go here. And he said, then would you send Lazarus back to my brothers? Because I don't want my brothers to be where I am. When I pastored in Arkansas, I witnessed to a guy that, uh, and I was trying to go down the Romans Road. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But I was trying to go down the Romans Road. And uh, when I got to the point the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I begin to explain what, the way, what death really is. Death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And I said, you don't want to go there? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, no, I don't. I said, no, I said, no you don't. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. And I said, why would you say that? And he said, because the preacher that preached my dad's funeral said that my dad went to hell. And if that's where my dad is, then that's where I want to be too. And I thought, what a dumb preacher for making a statement like that. The second thing is, if you have a loved one in hell, they don't want you there. We have a messed up notion of what life separated from God is all about. We have a messed up notion about hell. Those who are separated from God, whatever memories they might have looking, but they do not want their loved ones to, so, to, to come there. So really, this is what you've got. You've got a call from within, the Holy Spirit in our lives. You've got a call from without, the fields that are white in the harvest. You've got a call from below, but you've also got a call from above. Because the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over every lost soul that comes to Jesus, every prodigal that comes home. There's rejoicing. I mean, there is a, uh, there's a new robe put on. You, say, you might say this morning, well, my life is such a mess. There is, I mean, I got to get my life straightened out, and I get my act straightened up. Then I'm going to come to the Lord. No, that's not how it works. It's not that you go get your own new robe to put on you, or you say, well, I've, I've forfeited my ring of sonship that was on my finger, so it's gone. I got to get another ring, or I've got to get new shoes put on my feet, and then I'll come to you. You always listen, folks. You can't clean yourself up. Neither can we. I like the sign on the wall, the fisherman sign. We catch them, he cleans them. We can't clean them. We can't clean you. We can involve them, be involved in the process of catching them and bringing them to Jesus Christ, but ultimately, he is the harvester, and ultimately, he is the cleaner. He cleans us up. 
So you say, I get my life all together, then I'm going to come. No, heaven rejoices when you come just as you are, with all of your sin and all of your disobedience and all of your hard-heartedness and all of your bullheadedness and all of your hypocrisy and all of everything else you might have ever done. The Bible tells us that when someone comes, there is rejoicing in heaven and there is a robe that is prepared and there's shoes for their feet and there's a ring on their hand and they have a great big party because they killed the fatted calf. God wants people to fulfill his master plan. Jesus came for a reason. And so, whether it is, you know, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know that people in heaven know that people get saved down here, but we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the Bible says. I do know that uh, people say, well, the, there used to be a song. That's when the angels rejoice. The Bible doesn't say the angels rejoice. It says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when someone comes to Christ. So, people, listen to me. If you want to get in on the rejoicing of heaven, then have a gospel conversation with somebody. Now, lest you think this is real, real hard, I'm going to do something I've done before, and this is five, five key passages that you need to master, five key passages that you need to know. And they are found in the book of Romans, and that's called the Romans Road. And what I have always encouraged people to do is to start at Romans chapter 3, verse 10. So look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And this is a passage, this is what it says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So, you may come across somebody that says, I'm pretty good. Look down here in verse 23. At, at, at alongside Romans 3.10, write 3.23. Okay? 3.23. So, drop down here to Romans 3.23 for it says, it says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of of God, which means, by the way, none means none, and all means all. So when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, how many sinners do we have in this room? Every one of us. And the Bible does not compare us with each other. Men do that, and they say, well, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so. You can always find a so-and-so that you're better than. There's always someone that you compare pretty well to. I mean, the worst, you compare better than somebody. But when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the interesting thing here is it doesn't compare us with one another. We get a glimpse of ourselves in the light of comparison with God, and when we do, we realize we come far short. We have missed the mark. Out alongside Romans 3.23, write Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. Well, turn to Romans 6.23. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin 
is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what is a wage? A wage is something you earn. Payday comes. It may come monthly. It may come weekly. I don't know how often you get paid, but there is a wage. There is a payment that comes. And so if a person lives their whole life in sin, what is the payment? The payment is death. Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden, thou shalt not surely die. But immediately, spiritual death came in when they disobeyed the Lord. And then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We are all sinners. And if we live our whole life in sin, this is what we can expect. You're going to get a pay. There's a payday coming. The wages of sin is death. But I love the last part of this verse, which says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the difference of getting paid and getting a gift? Payment is for something you deserve. A gift is something that you do not deserve. And there's none of us that deserve eternal life, but it is God's gift to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Now write Romans 5, 8 out alongside 623. Just put 5, 8, because this is the next step in the road. We go to Romans 5, 8, and in my Bible, it's just across the page. This is what it says. But God commended, or God showed, his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hear me now. Jesus died for you before you were ever born. Jesus' death for you was before you ever knew anything about it. While you were a sinner, why you didn't care about Jesus, you didn't care about what he'd done for you, God showed his love. He loved you anyway. He showed his love in that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you. Do you get the sense of that? You catch the meaning of that? What wondrous love is this, oh, my soul, oh, my soul. Out of side Romans 5, 8, write Romans 10, 9 through 13. Romans 10, 9 through 13. Now we come down to this. We've established the fact that we are all sinners, that the wages of sin is death, God has a gift that he wants to give you. Before you ever knew it, God loved you and sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And under that burden and with the weight of that knowledge, this is what happens. The Bible says in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so there will be those that will say, well, in my heart I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But that's all I have to do is just believe in my heart. I never have to let anybody know. Based on what this text says, you believe in your heart, you confess him with your mouth, because there is a law in the universe that says what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Amen? 
If it's down in the well, if you believe in your heart, it's going to have to come out of your mouth. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. We start out by saying, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But then the Bible tells us in verse 11, for the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus when we're talking on the witnessing end. I promise you we won't be ashamed of Jesus. We're on the dying end, but on the beginning end, on the front end, don't be ashamed of Jesus. And verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ask him. Call on him. And don't be ashamed. Number one, one Savior, one God. Two, two kinds of people, saved and lost. Three, three parts of our life story. My life before Christ, how I came to Christ, my life after I came to Christ. Four, four calls to have gospel conversations, to witness, to talk to people about Jesus. There's that call from within, that call from without, that call from below, that call from above, and then five key passages, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you say, you run on somebody this week and they are dying and you don't know what to do, then I'll tell you, if you've written these verses out here in the margin, you will have an opportunity to walk right through. And you can do this. You say, well, pastor, there's no power in walking through five passages of Scripture. Oh, listen, the power is never in us. It's always in God, and it's certainly in God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, then why do I need to have a testimony to share? Because you're just simply saying to a person, this is what happened to me. I got saved. It opens up all kinds of possibilities. And whereas last week I asked you to pray that God would lay some soul on your heart, I'm going to ask you this morning to do something just as simple. To pray that God would let you have a gospel conversation with someone this week. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon Him. And if today you've never trusted in Him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's Word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.